Oh, good morning, beautiful people. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I am delighted this morning to have Ebony Underwood. Unmute yourself, Eb. Uh, we got us. Let me tell you something about Ebony. She's a social entrepreneur, a content creator, advocate, and an Aspen Institute Ascend Fellow. Um, she is the founder and CEO of We Got Us Now. We Got Us Now. And she founded We Got Us Now as the first of its kind national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization advocating for the well being of children and young adults impacted by parental incarceration with a mission to engage, elevate, educate, and empower. So she built and led, uh, built and led by this historically invisible subpopulation of children. We Got Us Now cultivated a strength based approach through the use of digital narratives, safe and inclusive spaces, leadership building and advocacy led campaigns to ensure uh, that lived expertise of the community's voices are at the forefront of strategic initiatives, practices and policies that will help to keep families connected uh, create fair sentencing and end mass incarceration. Good morning, girl. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Thank you so much. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Thank you. It for is lovely me. to meet you. And and uh, you know, I've been thinking about this ever since Kayla Kayla Vincent of the uh, the Yale uh, Racial and Law Center um, uh, brought this to my attention. I, I have been but done nothing but think about what this means um, when we talk about uh, 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 incarceration and hypermass incarceration, we never think about the collateral damage. We only focus no. on the people who go serve their time, but they leave behind whole families and children oh and loved ones. Mm -hmm. oh my so this gosh, is personal yeah. to you. This is personal. Oh, yes, this is a very personal story. My father, for the majority of my life, was incarcerated uh, for three decades, actually. Um, and for most of that time, I never talked about it. Like, I never talked about it because of the trauma. This, first of all, because of the devastation and trauma uh, um, of his arrest. And then thereafter, I just, I never knew how to describe it. So I was just like, I'm just going to ignore it. And I believe that was like a coping mechanism for me. And so, yeah, for so much of my life, I decided not to. Um, but... <laughs> You know, as life will have it and as God will have it, you know, he puts you in places and puts you in situations and, and makes you really think about why are you here and what is your purpose? And and um, that led me to say, you know what, I'm tired of visiting prisons. I've been mm. going. My father, was, my father was in federal prison. I've been going to. I had gone through eight different federal facilities since he wow. was incarcerated um, all across the United States. And they're and, not easy places to get to. Like some no. of them are impossible to get to. Absolutely. That's the truth. Yes. Um, and then imagine if you go and they're locked down and nobody tells you. Yeah. And then you so, can't get you in know, and you got to turn around and go back and you don't know when they'll be up and running. That's, exa you know what I mean? like, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And that has had, that has happened. That has happened. We've driven, you know, across several States and have been turned away because of the fact that they're locked down. And of course, you know, at that point they weren't telling anyone, you know, there were no notifications. We just kind of had to just deal. And so as a daughter who had been dealing with this for a really long time, um, I was compelled to say something when I heard the Obama administration say that they wanted to reform the criminal legal system. And so that to me, I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is a moment in time where my dad, who had at that point been fighting for 
at least 20 years um, to come home. And I said, I, I need to say something. And so I had never shared this publicly, but I said, if he's calling this thing that I've experienced mass incarceration, I'm like, okay, well, maybe they get it. Maybe he's going to really do something. And so that led me to basically saying, I am going to um, learn everything that I can about my dad's case. And because I did not want to be surprised. And once I did, I decided I would speak out and speak for, for him because it felt like he was speaking from a well and no one was hearing him. Mm. Um, and I say that because, you know, for a lot of people that are incarcerated, oftentimes they need support. They need legal support. They need legal advocates, legal advocates. They need voices outside, you know, to show and share about who they are today. And, you know, um, and to understand like what they have actually been through and their achievements and their accomplishments and the changes that they've actually made. For those that have actually made progress and change, they need voices and legal advocates on the outside. I did not know this um, at the time, but I decided that I wanted to say something and what led me to saying something was really, what really led, led me was the fact that my father had not stopped being a dad. He had, um, for the majority of his time there, had never once stopped being a dad. He wrote birthday cards when I did not want to have anything to do with him. He continued to call. When, there, when email came into place, he sent emails graduation cards, like every, I mean, he was like annual and just very consistent. Annual cards, annual birthday cards, annual holiday cards, just just his, his consistency. I only recognized it when I became an adult, but his consistency mm. was unmatched. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I think I should say something because he's really fighting to come home and he has no relief. And it's obvious there's some disconnect. So that's what propelled me to actually um, get into this work. And then after he got denied, I worked my butt off for two years. And after he got denied, I kind of was gutted because I had put this on my sleeve. I had um, worked alongside Senator Cory Booker and got his attention. I worked alongside Van Jones, got his attention. I worked alongside Google and produced three iterations of this of this uh, digital campaign called Love Letters. You know, I felt like, oh my God, this this could be the moment. And then, um, in November of 2016, my father's attorney got a letter saying that my father was denied with no explanation and and nothing, uh, um, no reasoning. And I could not believe it. I was like, I literally put my heart in my sleeve. I had never spoken about this before, and you all are denying me. No way. And so um, in that moment, I took a break. I took a breath and prayed, did a lot of praying. And, and in the process, I realized that this is way bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. This is not, this is way bigger than our, our personal story. This is, I had met so many daughters and sons. I was going to ask you, once you open the floodgates, and you find out that you are not alone standing in this space. And there are so oh many goodness. other people that could share with you, but this is what we did. And this is how we yes. managed. And this is, and then you just feel like I have all this information, but there's Absolutely. no connecting way. And everybody's like doing their own thing and there's no connecting. So here you come. We got us now. <laughs> that's right. And that's what came, that's what came on my heart. That's what God placed on my spirit. We got us now. 
And at first I was like, oh, it's kind of a weird name, but it's very black. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? It's very, it's very black. Because that's how we that's how we talk, right? Like hey, 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 that, hey. That's what we say. Was, we got it, us now. I mean, you know, those were the words that came on my heart. And it was not just we got us, it's we got us now. now. Like right now, right now, right now. And um, yeah, We Got Us Now came into being, uh, formed in 2017. We officially launched in 2018 and we have not stopped since. Are you a lawyer, Ebony? So This is the funny story. I was actually on the road to law school and a very dear friend and mentor of mine who is now since passed. Um, this is at the time at 2014, I was asking like, should I do this? Like, should I say something, you know, um, about my dad being incarcerated and get Obama's attention? Or should I just go to law school? Like maybe that's what the way to go, like, right? And he said, Ebony, law school is not going anywhere. I'm a lawyer, <laughs> lawyers are, you know, you could be 50 years old and become a lawyer or 60 years old. It does not matter. It's not going anywhere. Go get your dad. Go get your dad. And I have to say, <laughs> that was probably the best decision that I or best advice that I could ever have gotten. Because it's so true. So I was actually on the road. I was studying for the for the LSAT. And no, I decided to pivot and do this work. And I've looked now I'm lost this national, you know, nonprofit organization. And we've been doing incredible work. There's, you know, we have daughters and sons, we have over 20 daughters and sons nationwide who are part of our actionist leadership network. Um, and we call ourselves actionists because we believe in our advocacy leads to action. And so we call ourselves actionists. Um, we passed six pieces of legislation, one at the local level, three at the state level, and two at the federal level. Wow. Um, we have a top 10 rated podcast called We Got Us Now Podcast. Please go check it out. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we are moving and shaking and, 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 you know, continuing to push on. And we've, and we've reunited so many families. I didn't say that. My dad, after 33 years, came home in uh, 2021 uh, wow. during the pandemic. I was going to yeah, ask, but I, I, was a, I was a little reluctant because I was like, well, you know, she didn't no, say he received, yet. So. Yeah, he received a compassionate release. There's so much going on. So it's like, oh, my gosh, all of it is like I'm still... I'm still in the throes of like just re realizing that he's home. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. So it's so Ebony, the incredible. more that you do this work, do you find like the more there's work to be done? Like because I know when you go across the country talking about reunifying folks and 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 and, and talking to folks whose parents were incarcerated, that can't be. It's not this one story. It's a bunch of stories over and over. And so many people have done what you've done, just not talk about it because they don't have any real place to talk about it at. You know, schools are not creating spaces for kids to talk about this. Do you know what I mean? No. And yeah. there's no churches yeah. are not doing this work. I mean, you know, no shade to churches or any of these institutions. But I, I don't think people are aware that space needs to be made for a particular population of people that this is happening to. This is so true. I'll tell you this, you know, people hear the term children of incarcerated parents and automatically put us in the box of um, criminal justice reform. And we don't believe that this is a criminal justice reform issue solely. 
like this issue should be looked at from the lens of the child rather than the lens of the incarcerated parent, because oftentimes there is a trickling down effect where we get buried with all of these narratives about who we are likely to become because of uh, our parents' experience. And it's so many false narratives around that that are stigmatizing and re-traumatizing and most, it's a historically invisible population. So most daughters and sons don't speak about it because of the fact that they don't, either they have shame or there's trauma or there's stigma, or they don't wanna be associated with it. It's true, everybody does not have my story. However, a lot of uh, young people that I've found are often siloed in this, um, in this experience because navigating the waters of the criminal legal space is, is not an easy thing. And so most times when people are um, trying to figure it out, that's what I got. I get a lot of questions about like, how did you do it? How did you help get your dad home? Or what are some of the things that you do to continue to stay focused? Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's many, many layers to this. And in the criminal legal space, we're often, the children are often like an afterthought. We are not mm. the priority in the mm -hmm. conversation. Most, you know, because it's such a big issue, right? Right, the mass incarceration, this is 50 years of mass incarceration in 2023. And so mass incarceration has bubbled into, you know, um, first of all, it's the individuals that are incarcerated. Then, you know, secondly, then it's the men that are incarcerated. Then now the women are advocating for, you know, um, their rights as incarcerated individuals and mothers. And then, you know, and all of those things that go along with it and all the injustices of that. And then there's the juvenile justice system. <laughs> so when it comes to when it comes to children of incarcerated parents, they're like, oh, right, right. You guys, too. I'm like, this is such a big, big, big island that we all live on. And um, yeah, we're kind of like in the caves <laughs> in the island. So what we got us now has been able to do is kind of open us, open it up and bring some sunlight. Um, we really work from a strengths-based approach. Our approach is is centered around um, wellness and well-being. That's that's the place that we start with with our even with our actionist network, primarily because there was so much hurt. It's really it's been this experience has been cathartic for me, and because there was so much hurt um, and pain that I had unknowingly experienced. Um, in this and having to leave my dad every time we visited him or, you know, moments, the holiday season is coming up. That's a, another tough time, you know, for a lot of daughters and sons and people don't recognize that Mother's Day and Father's Day is also a really tough time for families um, and just, you know, having to be re reminded about, you know, what has happened in your family. And, you know, a, a lot of times people just kind of just brush the situation under the rug. And, and so in an effort to not, to no longer do that, um, we got us now decided that we were going to um, say no more and say, it's time for our voices to be heard because there have been so many policies that have been passed over the last 50 years mm -hmm. that have, you know, um, separated, continuously separated us from our parents. And so we wanted to say no more. And so that's what we did. Wow. I, I, so I, I would imagine, Ebony, that the work that you're doing depends on partnering with like-minded, supportive organizations. And maybe Absolutely. some of them are unlikely organizations. I don't, talk a little bit about how do you get this done 
in 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 community with with folks? So we felt like the best way. So you know, we're from. I have a mantra that technology is the doorway and storytelling is the key. Um, and that's primarily because I literally was in my bedroom on my laptop, and that was how I was able to garner so much attention around my personal story. Um, and so I feel like in order for, you know, today we live in the age of social media and digital content. And so it was important for me to be able to reach organizations that had bigger reach. Um, and so the partnership with Google was, was fundamental in that, right? I, I was at an event that I got invited to, uh, families got invited to the White House, those that were advocating. And we were loud, myself and my my siblings were loud and uh, wanting to, you know, get our father some some support. And so we were one of the families that were recognized or invited. And while there, I had met some people from Google had hosted a special dinner for the families. This was in DC. And so while at the dinner, <laughs> I had met with one of the Google executives and they heard my story. And they were like, oh my God, because I had I had already on my own created a website. I call it, I created a campaign called Hope for Father's Day. <laughs> I created a I created a website. I created a hashtag. You know, for me, whatever day my dad came home, it would be considered Father's Day. And so I just was like relentless with like wanting to try to get as much attention as possible. And in the process, you know, Google saw me and they were like, we really love what you've done and we want to help you to propel this and so that kind of that kind of led me to like say oh okay well this was a great partnership and we ended up doing three iterations of this digital campaign we had john legend introduce one campaign we had a woman from orange is the new black introduce another campaign and then we had a youtube um influencer uh introduce the third campaign and it was just so inf instru instrumental and i guess we we were able to garner a lot of like awareness megan the stallion reached out um fashion over cares reached out um you know different people in different places started to see you know our issue and who we were and garnered us a lot of attention um right now we're um producing an educational series this fall and we've been at uh, several universities and colleges across the country. We started at Howard Community College in Maryland. Um, and what we're doing is exploring the well-being of children of incarcerated parents. And so uh, started there at the community college, then went down to University of Miami and their law school there. And we were talking to young people that were in the community and, and very excited people that were students um, that wanted to learn more and even discovered some of our own community, daughters and sons that were part of that community and wanted to get involved. Um, from there, we went to UC Berkeley and we were there at Berkeley Law. Um, and today we'll be at Yale Law School through the Race and Racial Injustice, Race Justice Center. So very, very excited. Shout out to Kayla and, and Ray and Ariane there. They have been very, very supportive of our team. So we're excited. I, I, I listen. I I have the flyer been floating it around my social media platforms uh, because oh, I think this Thank is you. this is such a necessary conversation. And I I for the life of me, I don't know who is talking about this in spaces, particularly around children. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. 
we we talk about the incarcerated adults and juvenile justice, but we don't go that extra step to talk about, uh, and we even go so far as to talk a little bit about caregivers who who provide caregiving, but we don't talk about uh, the the direct effects that this has on children. I mean, I I'm formerly incarcerated, but my children had a whole support team in place, right? Their father was Ooh. around, a, a whole church community, and still. Um, um, we made the decision not to tell them what was happening because they were very, very little. So we just kind of concocted a story. And but as they grew up, um, I we told them the story. Like we, I didn't spend a lot of time in prison, but in federal prison. Um, so that's why we could say, "All right, I'll be back." But we didn't say where I was going. We just kind of concocted the story. But as they have gotten older, and they're all grown ups now, they're in their twenties, mid twenties. Uh, and we have talked about this and uh, and their feelings about what was happening. And uh, what struck me was, is that uh, there were folks in the community who uh, talked to them about these matters in ways that were not appropriate, mm. that that spoke to them about about what had happened, you know, and mm. and they and they put they put judgment on them in ways that mm -hmm. I just thought was inappropriate. And I thought, yeah. who is talking to children like this? Like all the time. Why would all you, the time. why would you consider yourself time. thinking that you were trying to right some wrong or you didn't appreciate the way we handled this or, and I, and I, and it got me thinking about this, Ebony, ever since I knew you were coming, I was like, what do people do in families when these kinds of things happen? You know, what, how do they handle talking to their children about when a parent has to go um, away for, for time to serve some time somewhere, you know, like that's a huge yeah. thing because kids still go to school. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Right. And don't, <laughs> and don't let it be a public, you know, really, really publicly or widespread or a personality that is that's happening to, because yeah, then it's like, Oh my God, it's, it's traumatizing for most kids. They don't know what to say. Um, you know, and there are, you know, I, I love what you shared about, you know, your experience and thank God your family had a support system. Um, I, I feel like because so many people don't think about this issue and even the caregivers and even the parents that are incarcerated, you know, they're so immersed and even the, you know, the family members that are left behind, um, they are so immersed in like just trying to cope, um, with some of the social determinants of health that occur. Uh, once a parent is incarcerated, oftentimes, you know, there's the economic instability that occurs in the home. Yeah. And then there's, you know, um, you know, some of the emotional pieces that uh, people often don't speak of that I think is really important. But all of like adequate health care and just like, you know, lack of employment. I know my mom was really she was a stay at home mom. And so she was really concerned about our economic well-being. And so emotionally, she she wasn't even in a mind frame to think about how it was truly affecting us. Like it was, it was just like, how do we, how do we survive? Right. Most yeah. People I gotta keep a roof over your like, head. I got to keep food on the table. Yeah. You're going to exactly. be all right. <laughs> right. So it comes to this conversation of survival. So, yeah. you know, the, the, your, your processing of like, how this is, how is this affecting our children? That doesn't come until, until later, because you're just trying to, of, of course, keep right. The, 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 basic needs met keep those basic needs met so there are no instructions for this conversation and because we know that 
that is why um, we decided to begin to speak out because for so long, a lot of families don't share with their children. And when they don't share, a lot of times, you know, when the kids find out, they either feel betrayed, they feel like they didn't know, they feel like what happened, they want to know more. There's all these questions that arise. And it's challenging because, again, there is no instructions. So what we got us now, our intention is to ensure the well-being of these children from childhood all the way to young adulthood to ensure that they are okay. And how mm. we do that is working working alongside several different systems and really working as an advocacy organization, but also as a systems change organization because the criminal legal space is not, you know, they're doing, I guess, what they can do at, on their level. But for me, we can't keep incarcerating ourselves out of a problem. We have to really begin to address what does it take to uplift the integrity of these families and really begin to think about it, not from the incarcerated individual's perspective, but really more so from the child's perspective. What are we doing to support these, chi this, these children? You know, and then, so we've been looking at different systems. Um, higher education is one system that we've been talking to. Um, another system is talking to public health care officials about how do we ensure the well-being. You know, we released a report in May, and then you can you all can find that on our website at wegotusnow.org. It's called 10 Million Children Inspired. Mm -hmm. Our answer, our answer to 50 years of mass incarceration. And in it, it basically lays out who we are, why we exist, and the future of our work. And the reason why this is so important, because many people think, oh, okay, this is like a fellowship of young people. They come together and they, and it's it's way, way bigger than that. Uh, what We Got Us Now is designed for is to build a community, um, a, a, a voice, a, 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 um, a echo chamber of support for daughters and sons that have had this experience and, and take that and ensure that we begin to build real inroads to ensure that our families are not forgotten, that we're not forgotten. You know, I didn't even talk to you about the statistics. You know, over 2 million people have been incarcerated in the United States. You know, mm -hmm. we're 5% we're of the world's population and, and yet we incarcerate 25% of the world's population. And, um, and unfortunately, 50% of the incarcerate, incarcerated population are parents. Um, there are nearly 5 million children at this current time in 2023 with an incarcerated parent that are under the age of 18, children under the age of 18. They, nearly 5 million of them have a parent that's incarcerated. But the epidemic of it all is that over these last, you know, several decades, 10 million children have been impacted, including myself. I was a child when this happened to me. And so I just was like, you know, we we can't keep just forgetting about these these children and picking and choosing our issues. Um, we have to really begin to address this and we need the support of different systems in order to get this fully moving and forward. It, it can't just be reliant on the criminal legal system. They can't solely do it. They, they haven't been able to do it. We see that. And so we as an organization recognize that what we can do as daughters and sons who have had this lived experience 
what we can do is help to support these different systems and better ensuring that we don't continue um, having this thing called mass incarceration, where we are just incarcerating people and destroying communities and ripping apart families. We can do this better. We can do this smarter. We have the, we have the technology. We have the insight and in intellect uh, nowadays. And we, as a community, all as a society, just need to come together to ensure that we're thinking about this issue from the lens of these children. And so that is our perspective and that is our objective. And that's how we, we will now use our lived expertise as daughters and sons to help to support these systems. And that's what we do. We've been providing effective solutions around how to best support all of these systems. And so it's been really, really like incredible for us to do that. Yeah. I, I I I I was glad that you said that, Ebony, because you know at the end of the day, I mean, I, I hear you talking, but people need tools on how to like get started with having these larger conversations in community, like how do they do it? And I, you know, I'm just thinking about New Haven. New Haven is is a a, a small city, but we have big city issues, and and we have mm -hmm. a, a a mass incarceration system. I live in a community that's heavily policed ridiculously police and lots and lots of people go in and out of prison and jails and stuff like that. And there are children that are collateral, are, are collateral damage for that. But, you know, somebody has got to have these conversations and, and uh, I don't know if churches are, are inclined to have this conversation or schools at the elementary grade school level, how do you empower them? And teachers already feel, you know, overwhelmed with dealing with whatever, whatever, whatever. But I dare say um, some of this, some some of what we're seeing in schools might be as a result of kids trying to maneuver this kind of information about parents going to prison. So as I was just sharing, some of our actionists and our We Got Us Now Actionist Network, which is a, a, a community, a nationwide community of daughters and sons from all across the United States that have been directly impacted by mass incarceration by having their parent incarcerated, they are young adults and we have a junior actionist community, but the young adults that we have are professionals. We have researchers, we have teachers, we have social workers, we have um, adjunct professors. Uh, we have people that have started their own nonprofits um, that centers around this issue. And because they were once daughters and sons, we have been working collectively to figure out and ensure that we can provide best practices and solutions, um, uh, frameworks in which people can work and give them the tools in which to work effectively to support these, these children. Um, for instance, the legislation that we helped to pass in DC, the local legislation, that was all centered around DC public schools to ensure that DC public schools help children impacted by parental incarceration with social, social emotional support, economic support, educational housing, health, and mental health needs. So by, by doing that, we are working, and that was led by our actionist in DC. So he has his lived experience. He's also a, an author, and he also was able to lift up his not only himself and share his own experience, but also lived, lift up his his lived expertise alongside his professional experience and what he can bring to the table. And that led to 
us working alongside him to get these all DC public schools now to provide these social emotional supports for elementary school children. And so that's just an example of like how we have been able to do this work. <laughs> I don't know if you all just saw recently, but Senator Wyden and Congresswoman Jayapal introduced legislation to provide alternatives to incarceration for parents. Um, that just happened like two days ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, one of the statements, of course, we got us now as a big supporter. I left a statement to endorse, you know, our um, this Families Act, because really, we do need sentencing alternatives. We don't need to just keep incarcerating ourselves out of, um, you know, problems. We really need to get to the root issues of the problems. And that's what We Got Us Now is here to do. Our objective is to ensure that we are connecting with different systems and different people. Uh-oh. Hello. Oh, yeah, Harry. It's very jarring when you see it, right? Like, what is happening? Oh. <laughs> I said, oh no, did we get disconnected? But yeah, that's that's our objective. So we're we're here, we're here in New Haven today. We are so happy to be welcomed by you all and um excited to be talking to you all about how we are exploring the well-being of children of incarcerated parents and young adults. Very, very excited again to be here with you. Thank you so much, Babs. I appreciate you talking with me today. Oh, no, it's my, it is my absolute pleasure to talk to you, Ebony. And I, I, I just admire you and the work that you are doing. And somebody's got to be concerned about the children. So thank you so much. And I, I hope you have a wonderful talk today. I'm going to try to get over there. I can't guarantee it. But I'm so glad that I got to have this one-on-one -on -one time with you. And I know yeah. you're going to inspire some of these law students uh, to to uh, think about how they move forward in the world and be a, be of uh, of service to uh to, to this population of children, so, and, and yeah, folks. Thank you so much, thank you so much. We do have partners too, so it's the, it's the Law and Racial Justice Center, as well as the MBA Foundation, um, Aspen Ascend Institute, and Sony Music, so very, very excited about, you know, being right. part of this. Well, thank yeah, you, enjoy thank you your so talk, much. and make sure they take you someplace good for lunch, like. Uh, <laughs> okay, I will. Well, this, is a, this, is a, this is a pizza town, so mention that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Thank you so much, Ebony, and uh, bless you for the work that you are doing. Thank you so much. You take care. It was a pleasure. All right, my dear. All right, <laughs> bye, -bye. bye. All right, Harry Jones, I will see you all tomorrow. Thank you for this wonderful time, and I appreciate this. And um, you can you can still click on here and and if you have time from twelve ten to one thirty today to go here, Miss uh, Ebony Underwood at the Yale Law School Baker Hall, which is right there on uh, 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 Ashman. So make your way over there if you can. Uh, room one twenty two uh, is hosted by the Yale Law Center and the racial the the Yale Law and Racial Justice Center. So I'll be back tomorrow. So y'all be good. Take care. <laughs>